Israeli government official Ben Gvir goes up to the Temple Mount and the world loses their collective minds. It kills more people each year than lions, elephants, leopards, buffaloes and rhinos combined. What animals should you watch out for when you're on the water? And everyone's going to the UAE, including Israeli singer Omar Adam, who's officially relocated to Dubai. But what does the future hold for Jews in the Gulf? Rabbi Levi Duchman is here to discuss his role in cultivating peace in one of the richest Arab countries in the world. This is the Weekly Squeeze. I'm your talented and humble host, Hanla Music, coming at you from the land of Israel, the eternal homeland to the Jewish people. A nation that people love to criticize because we are not terrifying. The Jews are not terrifying. We are not going to uh, take revenge if you say something about us that we don't like. We are going to accept it and just tweet about it or post about it on Instagram. (laughs) There's actually a very interesting concept that I wanted to unpack here, and that is called proleptic dimmies. But we'll get into that soon. Remind me, okay? But first... Let's talk about the most dangerous animal in the world. My mother told me my podcast is too serious and I should keep it more light. So I was like, okay, let me look what's going on around the world that's interesting and that I could talk about and perhaps share some helpful advice upon. And as it turns out, there is a terrific story that could potentially help you because I didn't even know this. Lions, elephants, leopards, buffaloes, and rhinos combined don't kill as many people as hippopotamuses. I did not know that. But now you do too, so be aware. If you are on a speedboat in a lake and a hippopotamus emerges from the water, you might want to put some metal to the pedal because they are extremely dangerous. The video was shared on Twitter and uh, with a helpful hint, (laughs) um, reminding people not to get close. And you see this massive hippopotamus that weighs a ton just plowing through the water And this is not the hippopotamus that you will see in that little hippo game. This is a 3,000-pound animal with massive teeth that are as long as 20 inches. They have remarkably strong jaws, and their bite is three times stronger than a lion. One bite from a hippo can cut a human body in half. Well, the people in the boat remained strangely calm (laughs) as they pedaled away as fast as possible. I guess they knew that they shouldn't stop for a selfie, no matter how fun that would have been. And if you're planning on going to Africa for a safari, just be aware that hippos kill 500 people a year. They're very aggressive, they have very sharp teeth, and they are not your friend, no matter what the marvelous Midos machine convinced you. That's right. From one dangerous creature to another, the IDF is recruiting women for their special forces. Starting this week, the IDF will be scouring the country for 130 candidates to serve in two units with enlistment taking place in April and then again in November. Um, They're being screened for psychological and obviously physical strength. And once they pass these examinations, they will be trained uh, to be in these special forces. Then there will be more tests that they have to pass, more psychological screenings, which leads me to believe that this is super intense. I'm not a very big fan of women in combat units unless they really, really are determined to be. I think that a woman's physiology um, is not designed for this kind of labor-intensive fighting and training. Um, You know, there has to be extra care taken to, to keep their injuries down to a minimum. 
from what I understand, the army supplements female combatants with iron and extra calcium, which is interesting. Obviously, they're aware that women are different from men because they are. And then there's the, the, the concern, you know, when you have women in these fighting units. I, I watched this reality show about soldiers a few years ago. And they were showing how the women were training and the effect that it had on their male counterparts who couldn't help but being concerned for their female friends when they were out in the deserts, e either dying of thirst or struggling with a very heavy backpack or trying to get over a wall. The natural inclination of a man is to protect a woman. And that is a big responsibility when you're on the field and you're out in a war zone. Um, and the focus has to be on the enemy. Now, that doesn't mean I don't support women being, let's say, fighter pilots. I think that's that's great. Or drive a tank. I, I would love to drive a tank. I just think that when it comes to the physical exertion that's required to be a soldier and the fact that women are future mothers, their bodies are special and holy and important and they need to be protected. And that's what the army's for, to protect the mothers and the children to keep them safe from our enemies so that we can grow and live and be fruitful and multiply. But women are seeing it differently. The, this past year, 3,300 women enlisted in combat roles. Um, so, yeah, there are definitely women that are protecting the, the land of Israel, and I'm grateful for them. And I mourn when we lose a soldier, male or female. It's obviously devastating. And I guess I want to live in a country where my girls are not encouraged to be on the front lines facing the enemy. Um, but we have some very successful women who are colonels, who have large responsibilities and duties, who are trained in cyber intelligence and combat. And like I said, we are grateful for our IDF that protects us day in and day out. Sometimes I wish I could be in the army. I do, well, not now, but I wish I could have been in the army and I could have had that kind of discipline. Like, get out of bed. Put the spoon down. You are not having a bowl of cereal now. You're going to run 50 laps around this camp. Do you hear me, Kiveret? I don't care if you have a heat rash. Let's go. Shemena, Duba, Zuzi, yalla. I could use some of that in my life. All right, what else is going on in the world? There's a new billboard up in New York paid for by the Friends of Aguda Sisral of America. Um, it shares the knowus.org statistics on anti-Semitism. New York City anti-Semitic attacks have doubled. New York Times articles against Hasidic Jews in three months, 12 of them. Probably another one is being typed right now as I speak. And then the sign says, please stop attacking our community. Please, please, please. Like we had to put a please in because we're literally begging at this point. Just knock it off. Leave us alone. Pretty please with a kosher cherry on top. Stop it. In other world news, a beautiful photo went viral this week, taken at Ben Gurion Airport by Adi Schaefer, uh, January 1st, 2023, and it's a photograph of a woman davening, I guess, Shahris and an Arab woman on her knees, praying to Allah. And this picture went viral, and it was just a reminder that we really stink at being in apartheid state, and that there is a desire for peace, and photographs like this are always heartwarming and a positive reminder of what the world could look like if we could just pray and live and travel together peacefully. And it can be done. And I hope to see more photographs that bring me this warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart, like the one of Rabbi Levi Duchman, the shliach in the UAE, standing and watching the fireworks explode over the, the Burj Khalifa. Absolutely gorgeous picture. Um, I also want to give a little shout out to Ted Cruz, who put out a statement regarding the Biden's administration's pathological obsession with undermining Israel and how it's endangering the national security of America and our allies. 
Thank you, Ted Cruz, for being a level-headed representative and support to the Jewish people on the land of Israel. And we just need to have a little more fun. And that brings me to my next story. A junk food-loving dad ate 124 kebabs in the space of a month in an epic kebabathon. <laughs> a kebabathon, consuming a staggering 250,000 calories. Des Breakley from Manchester said he's been hurt physiologically and physically after eating four meat wraps every single evening. Uh, but he did it for charity, and that makes it okay. He raised 1,000 pounds for the Francis House Children's Hospital, where he is now <laughs> residing as he detox from the fat and the grease. He said he needed any fruits or vegetables, no nutrition. This was literally the only thing he, he ate. The first two weeks was a breeze. It's like when you come to Israel on vacation. You come, you're eating your big Israeli breakfast, you're getting a shawarma for lunch, you're eating ice cream six times a day, and then you start to feel sick. And you're like, I should probably go home now. That's a really funny story. Kebabathon. <laughs> Uh, all right. Next, I was talking about extremism last week, and I just want to point out that my son has an extreme problem with Clafium. Clafium are these trading cards that the kids flip in school, and they have a book, and they put the stickers in, and they get prizes, and it's just nonstop. The other day, I actually washed his pants with about 50 cards in the pocket, and it was such a sad moment when we realized that his Clafium were in the washing machine. So immediately I opened the washing machine and it was just, there was water everywhere and I took out the pants and I un uh, unpacked the cards one by one, trying not to tear them and we let them dry and they actually survived the cycle. And I thought to myself, well, that's never going to happen again. Lesson learned. But lo and behold, this morning, once again, I realized that I put his jeans into the washing machine before checking the pockets and I feel like a terrible mother. But boys are annoying. Why do they always have to have stuff in their pockets? I gave him a pouch. I said, put your coffee in the pouch. And that makes me no longer responsible. I mean, I think it does. I am very quick on the draw. I catch his pants before they hit the ground as he's getting into the shower. And they're in the washing machine before he's out of the shower. So, you know, I, I forgot. I forgot to check his pockets. And lo and behold, again this morning, he was like, where am I him? And we all froze and looked at the washing machine. That was in mid-cycle. And this time I was like, I'm not stopping the load. I'm really not stopping the load. So we'll see what happens. And after this episode is recorded, I will go check it out. And if you're wondering what a famous podcast host does in her free time, she blow dries her kids' playing cards. That's right. All right, I'm really excited. I have a new sponsor. This week's episode has been brought to you by Israel 365, a wonderful Jewish organization that is celebrating 10 years by planting a 10,000-tree forest in Israel, in Judea and Samaria. So... This is your opportunity to honor the land of Israel by buying a tree and having it planted in your name. This tree forest will be cared for by the Kochav HaShachar community in Samaria, and the forest will come to life through you, the global community of Israel lovers. There are still parts of this land that have been barren for over 2,000 years, and with your help, we can plant thousands of fruit trees, olives, grapes, pomegranates, figs, and dates. The goal here is to plant trees that will beautify communities, help communities earn a living, and help the Jewish people establish a stronger hold in Israel. The trees have begun to be planted. I plan a trip over there to plant one myself. It costs only $25 a tree. Your donations are tax deductible. You'll receive a PDF digital certificate in your inbox an hour after paying for your tree, and you'll receive an actual plaque in the mail that will be sent out within two weeks after paying for your tree. What a beautiful gift to a parent, to a child, 
child in the memory of a loved one and planting a tree in Israel has never been easier. So head over to my show notes, Israel365.com, so they know I sent you. All right, let's go on to the next segment where we talk about the anti-Semitism and the hypocrisy and the absolutely undeserved criticism that Israel received this week. Uh, tempers might flare. <laughs> Maybe mine. And then following that, I had a terrific conversation with Rabbi Levi Duchman, a shliach in the United Arab Emirates. I was schooled. I was absolutely schooled. And this is a conversation that was fascinating and one you don't want to miss. But first, so Israel has a new right-wing government, and already there's controversy. Ben Gvir goes up to the Temple Mount, and everybody goes bananas. Why? I guess because the New York Times is between articles about the Hasidim. So they're like, okay, what are the Israelis doing? Well, a Jew living in the Jewish state took a silent and contemplative stroll in a Jewish holy place. That's it. That's the scandal. Nothing more, nothing less. I am uh, reading through an article by Yisrael M. Eliashiv on his Substack, and he just puts this so clearly. I mean, think about the absurdity. A Muslim living in Saudi Arabia took a silent and contemplative stroll in a Muslim holy place. Or a Catholic living in the Vatican took a silent and contemplative stroll in a Catholic holy place. Or a Hindu living in India took a silent and contemplative stroll in a Hindu holy place. Ben Gvir didn't desecrate the mosque. He didn't go into the mosque. He didn't throw rocks. He didn't taunt anyone. He didn't play basketball, make a barbecue. He merely visited the Temple Mount that is in the land of Israel. And the world went nuts. I mean, think about it. People are encouraging uh, encouraging another intifada. People are saying we should revoke the Abraham Accords. And the UN Security Council called a meeting. I mean, could you imagine? Because a Jew in Israel visited the Temple Mount. Now, I don't visit the Temple Mount. My husband's a Sephardi, Ravavadi Yosef, doesn't support visiting the Temple Mount. I did an entire episode on the topic with Avi Abelo, episode 42, if you want to go back and listen. Who supports ascending, who doesn't support ascending. There's definitely room for discussion on a Jewish halachic level. But the fact is, Ben Gvir does go up to the Mount. And ultimately, he has a right because he is an Israeli and thousands of tourists visit the Temple Mount every year. And the only reason they can is thanks to Israel and its security forces that keep that area safe, no matter what's going on and what the, quote, mood of the day is as far as the Palestinians go. But like I said, the Jews are peaceful people. We're not irrational or extreme. And therefore, people are not not afraid to criticize and to condemn and to rally, and to tweet, and all the things that took place in the last 24 hours since Ben Gvir quietly and peacefully went up to the Temple Mount. Now, let's talk about what happens when you criticize the Muslims. There's an expression called proleptic dimitude, which basically suggests that everyone can be criticized except the Muslims. Any negative criticism about Islam and Muslims, even if it's accurate, is hate speech. Not only is it hate speech, but you are going to be on the receiving end of the fury of whoever decides to take revenge for the things that you said as an infidel, a traitor, or a hater. I mean, look what happened at Charlie Hebdo in Paris. And sadly, it's not just in Europe. This is also in America. I mean, in 2001, right after the September 11 attacks, George W. Bush spoke out at the Islamic Center of Washington, D.C., where there were members of the Muslim Brotherhood at his side. And he insisted that Islam was a religion of peace 
and the Muslims from all over the world were as appalled as Americans at what happened. And then he quoted the Quran uh, uh, as proof of Islam's peaceful nature. In Barcelona, Spain, in April 2002, there was uh, a fashion show. Well, not a fashion show, a demonstration where Spanish fashion models were protesting the Janine massacre. Where, well, I don't know what they're talking about because we never massacre anybody. Wearing nothing but suicide belts to show their solidarity with the Palestinian people. And that was cheered on without anyone batting an eyelash. I mean, imagine if the Jewish people would demonstrate in that fashion, uh, dressed up as Palestinians. The world would go nuts. And then, of course, you have the Danish cartoon scandal. And this is just particularly egregious. Muslim radio stations broadcasted the, quote, Yassin tapes filled with genocidal and racist hatred of Jews, sons of pigs and monkeys, killers of innocent children, evil to be exterminated. The chancellor of Sweden, Goran Lamberts, ruled that this speech should be judged differently and allowed because the Muslims are used by one side in a continuing profound conflict where battle cries and invectives are part of everyday occurrences in the rhetoric that surrounds the conflict. Basically, these tapes, even though the purpose of them was to fuel more conflict, they did not qualify as incitement against an ethnic group, according to Swedish law. And then everyone remembers Obama, who refused to use the words radical Islam. God forbid he should anger or insult anybody. And then in 2014, Brandeis University announces that they're going to be giving an honorary degree to Ayan Hirsi Ali. She's a Somali-born former Muslim. She's an author. I've read her book. It's very powerful and important. So she criticizes, she criticizes the patriarchal violence in Islam, and she got death threats. And instead of the faculty at Brandeis standing up for her, they actually called her an Islamophobe. They publicly shamed a black African feminist, okay, while showing respect for the belligerent patriarchal Muslims. And then, and then we have the, the Charlie Hebdo execution, where two jihadi brothers executed 12 people in, in the Charlie Hebdo office, and then another four people in a kosher grocery store. And then there's a BBC interview of an elderly Jewish woman. And she describes the Jews as victims. And she goes, you know, this kind of murderous agenda reminds me of when I was a child growing up in Europe in the 30s. And the journalist cuts her off and says, many critics of Israel's policy would suggest that the Palestinians suffer hugely at Jewish hands as well. So basically, the Muslims are victims which is the jihadi narrative that we're victims, so we have to murder the infidels. And I need to remind you about what's going on in Israel in case you think, God forbid, that perhaps the civilians in France didn't deserve this. I guess they deserve this. And let's not forget Sarah Halimi of Blessed Memory, whose neighbor okay, killed her while quoting Quranic verses, tortured her, and the press refused to report anything to do with Islam. Until they had a major demonstration, until the Jewish community got up and made a whole tumult about it, it, it they, they, they practically didn't cover it. The bottom line is the narrative that the world wants you to believe is such. Islam is a religion of peace, and it has nothing to do with the mad jihadis who have hijacked our religion and attacked you. And to suggest any connection between our true Islam and these hijackers is hate speech and insults and alienates Muslims. Israel, on the other hand, is the new Nazi committing genocide against the Palestinians and should be destroyed for the sake of justice. And this is what people around the world actually believe. So what is proleptic dimitude? Well, dimitude is anyone who's not all non-Muslims. Okay, According to Sharia, all non-Muslims are called dimmies. 
essentially Jews and Christians, anyone who was respected by the tolerant Muslim majority. But the term also means blameworthy or infidels, those who deliberately cover the truth of the prophet. So it's not a, a positive term. And then you have the word proliptic. Proliptic is basically anticipatory. So you're, you're anticipating that something is going to be negative before it even is. So simply put, proleptic dimitude is the actions of Westerners who take what they believe to be pro-Muslim positions in anticipation of Muslim threats and demands. So what are these Muslim threats and demands that have been accepted around the world and are, that are quite literally just scaring people from doing anything that they think might not be accepted by Islam. So what are the rules for this? Don't criticize Muslims. Make sure your community doesn't criticize Muslims, insult them, offend them, or make them look bad by sharing you know, any negative news. Vigorously attack anyone who criticizes Muslims. Adopt Muslim enemies as your own. That means Israel, the United States, egalitarian feminists. <laughs> Play down the victims of jihadi attacks and attack those who defend themselves from those attacks. And then adapt radical Muslims as representatives of the moderate Muslim community, like CARE, ISNA, and the squad. <laughs> now, mind you, you've all seen those Instagram clips, the Twitter clips that go viral of some iman somewhere ranting and raving about the evils of Israel and how Jews are pigs and the Holocaust never happened. That's okay. That is not an issue, and that's happening right under our noses all around America. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This message is loud and clear. And thanks to the proleptic dimmy, like the professors and publishers and policymakers and public officials and educational administrators and teachers, we are accepting this, we the Jewish people, because there's not much we can do about it. So when we have a... Knesset member going up to the Temple Mount and the world goes crazy and the UN calls an emergency meeting. I mean, the hypocrisy, the absolute absurdity of it all. It just, it, it brings my, my blood to a boil. It does, but I'm not going to do anything about it because I'm not a radical. I am a moderate. I'm going to speak on my podcast and then I'm going to move on and make myself a tuna sandwich and find some happiness in my life. And I'm not going to make myself crazy that the Iranians brought home the French ambassador after Charlie Hebdo magazine published a cartoon depicting Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, um, you know, as a cartoon. And Tehran deemed that insulting. And now we're going to have to retaliate and maybe shoot a missile on Israel. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is insane. There was a professor in, I'll tell you, hang on, in Minnesota, okay, that was fired recently from showing students two paintings of the Prophet Muhammad after a group, group of Muslim students complained. So let me get this right. The New York Times wrote 14 articles about Hasidic Jews in a, a number of weeks. And a professor in America was fired for showing paintings of the Prophet Muhammad, which, by the way, it is questionable whether that's actually an issue or not. So the, the Muslims in the uh, university were furious. They said that they were disrespected, and it was Islamophobic and potentially a hate crime. And it's not even a consensus that an Islamic law was even violated because Muslims have been including Muhammad in their artwork for centuries, like Shiites do today. And while mainstream Sunni Islamic law nowadays is against Muslims creating such depictions, it does not and cannot say that non-Muslims can't create or view such pictures. And this is in America. This is in Minnesota. 
where we practice free speech and where professors are entitled to show their students whatever they want. I mean, what do they want? Do they want a world where every encyclopedia, every college course, every newspaper article, everything must be approved by the extremist Islamic gatekeepers? I mean, is that really a world that we want to live in? Because if we piss off the Muslims, they might murder you? It's very frustrating, you know? We're only going to write angry letters. Like, the Jewish people are only going to tweet about their frustrations with the New York Times. So, you know, we're, we're, we're allowed to be uh, criticized. That, that's free speech and brave. But the Muslims, they might kill you. And of course, I'm not talking about all Muslims. I'm talking about the general approach to criticizing Jews and criticizing Muslims around the world. And you cannot deny that it is unfair. And the reason it is unfair is because we continue to take it. And that's fine because we are peaceful people and we are people of the book and we're not looking to push our religion down anyone's throats. Live and let live. And that's what I have to say about this. Live and let Israel live. Now, talking about living, Rabbi Levi Duchman is living it up in Dubai. I mean, the guy is driving around a gold-plated Lamborghini. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he is on a serious mission to bring Jewish life into Dubai with all its positivity to make a Kiddush Hashem. And after speaking with him, I was absolutely convinced that a trip to Dubai, at least for me, is long overdue. So without further delay, Rabbi Levi Duchman. Rabbi Levi Duchman, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. Thank you for being here. Salam Aleikum, is it? Yes, Salam Aleikum. <laughs> How, how's your Arabic? Arabic is quite well, so still still in still still in the process, but could speak could carry conversation and um, get past day by day with it. I, I thought that you'd have like a big fancy throne behind you. I'd see like a waterfall. Like I was really hoping for all the uh, United Arab Emirates trappings, but I'm assuming you're more simple because you're literally sitting on a wood chair and you could be in the shtetl. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. This is just uh, <laughs> yeah. Here in the, we actually those pictures that I'm, that you're probably referring to is 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 back then we used to do it in the take the zooms in the lobby of of the Jewish Community Center in Dubai, and over there in any public place you would go to, you would see pictures of the rulers of the UAE. Um, now in our shul we did not. There's no law that you must do it, but of course we. We want to do it. So, yeah, you would have there, like, on one side of the wall, a big picture of the Rebbe, and the other side of the wall, um, all the rulers of the UAE. The Emiratis. I don't think that's something that you see around the world. It's fairly uncommon where you have leaders that are not tyrants, where the people can live well and respect their government. But I want to get into that um, slowly. So let's just backtrack a second. You are, are you the chief Chabad rabbi of Dubai? So I am the, I live in the UAE. I'm actually based in Abu Dhabi. So Abu Dhabi is the capital of the United Arab Emirates. So the United Arab Emirates, there's seven Emirates in there. The capital is Abu Dhabi. And then you have Dubai, Sharjah, Ras al-Khaimah, Omar Ajman, and Fujairah. And those are the rest of the the most famous one, of course, being Dubai. Dubai has very well known for its tourism. And yeah, we're going to get into all of that. 
that that's what makes this conversation interesting. As interesting as you are, we're really interested in Dubai. You're just, you know, you're the most <laughs> qualified person to interview right now. <laughs> just teasing, just teasing. All right. So you're also on the Alliance of the Rabbis in, in Islamic States. I, I never I never met anyone on that particular um, board, but you are yes. a member. Yes, yes. So we started the Alliance of Rabbis in, in Islamic State. There was just we realized that how many rabbis we have in different Muslim countries and to see different ways to work together with each other, get ideas, etc. Um, not to jump in, but it's interesting. The first liach that the Rebbe sent to was to Morocco, was 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 to a Muslim country. And throughout the years, you have many interesting stories where we'll have some time throughout this to share about the, the way the Rebbe spoke about the importance of building Jewish life in Muslim countries, how not to alienate um, the the Jews from the from this region, and that would bring safety to Israel. Fascinating. Well, I live in Israel, so that's very relevant um, to my life. And I have this podcast where I engage in conversations about Middle East politics. And, you know, what can I say? You're taking one for the team because living in a Muslim country, you kind of sleep with one eye open. But but we can get more and in, more into that also as soon as people understand what it is that you do there. So let's paint a picture of the UAE. Perhaps people listening never saw Dubai, never went on YouTube, don't really know what life is like there. So the United Arab Emirates, third richest country in the world. People there are inexhaustibly wealthy. Dubai is often described as the adult Disney world for rich CEOs, bank managers. You have all the tourists who visit every year. There's also three million migrant workers. Some people call them slaves, which is a human rights issue that you could easily Google. It's one of the most interesting places in the world for a Chabad family to set up camp. And here you are. You set up camp in Dubai. You got married there. Your wedding made a lot of papers. So what does a day in the life of a rabbi in Dubai look like? So we here when, we, when I arrived to the UAE um, about eight years ago, there were just a few Jews living here. There weren't any rabbis living here. There weren't any real community. People would gather in, in each other's homes for minyan um, from, uh, over some Shabbosim. And it was really things were informal, um, saying if someone would want to have kosher food, they would have to bring in a suitcase. If someone would want to use the mikvah, they would have to go to the ocean. Or if you would want education, you would have to do it online. And right when I arrived, I we started right away working with the local authorities, working with the government, both on a federal level and a local level, to start building Jewish infrastructure here in the UAE. So in general, the UAE is a very, very open place. And just to correct you, what you said before, you could sleep with two eyes and you could sleep better in the UAE than probably any most countries in the world. It's one of the safest places in the world to live that in. That is true. That is true. There's very low crime and low pickpocketing. I know yes. that. You don't have to lock your door at night. You can leave your phone if you're in the busiest coffee shop or restaurant, go to the bathroom, come back. It will be there. If your wallet's together with your phone. Because nobody wants your first look in the old iPhone. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so it's a very, very safe, um, safe place. And what we've done right away is to build up the local Jewish infrastructure here in the UAE. So that is with children's education. So we started the first Jewish nursery school, which is called Mini Miracles in Dubai, which is an amazing one of the top nursery schools actually in Dubai today. Because the kids are miracles or because a Jewish preschool in Dubai is a miracle or both? Both. That's why it's many miracles. So many miracles. And the when we started, it was a challenge. 
to get the families to send their kids to Jewish school. But what we've done is we made the school to be the best school. So now parents are sending there not because it's Jewish, but because really it's a, it's an amazing school. And over there we have an after-school program in Sunday school as well. Just to give you numbers, today we have about 120 kids come every Sunday to the Sunday school. And throughout the week, there's 50 kids in the nursery school, and that's continuing to grow. And Who's we, your staff? Who's our staff from from all over? So we have we do have three girls here post that came after seminary that's helping that's teaching in the Kodesh of the school. And then to set the scope, we actually went to the best nursery school in Dubai. We learned we interviewed their their headmaster and we actually got her to join us at our school. So we have an amazing top level staff offering a top level education in a beautiful center in Dubai. And we are about to build the first one in Abu Dhabi as well. So the same concept, same idea. We are building in Abu Dhabi on Sadiat Island, a place called Soho Square. And you have a, a Ghanizi. Yes. So the same place, Imity Miracles, we have a winter Ghanizi where 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 the kids come for this year was over Hanukkah. So it was really nice. So that's when it comes to education. When it comes to kosher food, which we know that's the one of the essentials for Jewish life. We signed with the government an agreement where we set up this agency called Emirates Agency for Kosher Certification. So it's a local kosher agency where it gives kosher certification to hotels, restaurants, airlines. um, And that has been a great success. So instead of us opening our own kosher restaurant, we got many to open up kosher restaurants. Today, there's operating seven kosher restaurants. And there are more opening very, very soon. And we I, I know some rich I know some rich Israelis who fly to Dubai for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we do That's have how good the food is. <laughs> we do have an amazing kosher restaurant, which was the first one in the world's tallest building in the Burj Khalifa. So which is an amazing kosher restaurant and you always 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 full and people coming. So that's in terms of the kosher certification. We also have a kosher shita here in in a place called Al Ain, which is part of the Emirate of Abu Dhabi. And we just most recently opened up the first kosher supermarket, Rimon. Um, yes, you are- made the news again. I-, I like the name. As an Israeli, I could stand behind it, Rimon. I mean, this must be so... Uh, had I told you when you were bar mitzvah, do you know where you're going you're gonna to live? You're going to be in Dubai. And Dubai didn't exist then. I mean, the fact that Dubai is this country that has developed the way it has, it's a, a story in and of itself. But simultaneously, thanks to the Abraham Accords, that we're at a place where Judaism and Jews are welcome in a, a majority Muslim country and and are thriving there. It appears to me that they're thriving there. So that's really what makes your shlichos so interesting to me because I'm not going to lie. I have my doubts and not because I'm a historian, but because I'm a Jew. And I know the, the Jewish-Arab relationship has been tense over the years. So the fact that you're doing this and it's growing and it's going well, it's pretty amazing. But that's why I have more questions for you. Okay, bring <laughs> them challenge <up>. you. <laughs> All right. So you're living in a world that is... Almost smoke and mirrors. I mean, smoke because there's a lot of pollution from what I understand, but mirrors because everything is just a reflection of the wealth there. That's very much the mentality, the culture, the focus, the pride of the country where you live. You can Google everything, you know, the, the, the ski slopes and the waterfalls and the fish tanks and the cars on the streets, whatever you want. How is this Gashmi's lifestyle not affect you? Because we, we're human beings. We want nice things. I live in Israel. And when I walk through, you know, 
South Tel Aviv, I don't get influenced by my atmosphere that I need nice things. But if I lived in Dubai, I might be harassing my husband for, for a new car. So how do you let it not affect you? So, so first, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been to the UAE, Dubai or not yet? I told my followers when I get 10,000 Instagram followers, I'm going to come to Dubai. And now I have 20,000 followers and I still haven't <laughs> been to Dubai. So we'll talk about that. You'll bring me to sing. Oh. Okay, so I think you have to come to to come to Dubai, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, and see 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 really what's happening. So of course, Dubai has tourism, and there's like you said, a lot of huha, or the Russian word would be pakazucha, like a lot of um, bling bling that someone would assume, but that's really not the feeling of the day to day life in the UAE. The day to day life here, you have just think about a big city, where of course you have both Dubai and Abu Dhabi. But in the UAE, a place with over 200 nationalities, okay, people coming from literally all over the world. Majority of the people that you interact with were not even born in this place. And they're only coming to a city because they know how cosmopolitan it is. They know how, how enjoyable it is. And they want to they wanna do something that they couldn't do back home, it, whether these people are from the U.S., from Libya, Pakistan, Syria, India, Australia, literally literally everywhere and you have a leadership here a strong leadership um, his highness sheikh mohammed bin zayed where he has a strong vision a vision of building strong social cohesion empowering the youth and creating this beautiful platform for people to get together learn from each other and build something bright build something special in this region now it's not a secret of course the emiratis and everyone knows it's a tough region the, the way they lead the country in, in this amazing way is something which is very, very attractive for a lot of families, a lot of people to come here. And that is part of the day-to-day -day life where you, where you focus on. So you see young families coming, the parents either amazing access to education, whether it's British schools, American schools, international schools, now Jewish school, or if you look at the job opportunities, they created an amazing airport with a well-known well airline, Emirates Airline, which I'm sure that everyone, you could Google and see. So it became a very, very practical, nice, good place for young families to move here. And us as the the the, the shluchim here, we are here to build the Jewish infrastructure around that and to enable Yiddishkeit, enable Judaism for the people here. Right. So that begs two questions. Number one, if there were no Jews in Dubai, let's say for whatever reason, there were no Jews or very few Jews in Dubai, would you start your shlichos there to encourage Jews to move to Dubai or because Jews are now there, they need they need you? So I think if you look, this is a question you could ask about Chabad all around the world. It's not a question only to my shlichos, but I think I think we're here to focus. The the Rebbe sent every single shliach around the world to go help Jews wherever they live and to help the Jews and to power them and to give them the ability, whether it's helping a woman light Shabbat candles, whether it's building a school, whether it's doing a Hanukkah party, um, everything is everything is important. So I don't think we're, we, we go to places just to to build up the Jewish community, to attract people to come. But definitely what you see special and unique about Chabad Shlochem and Chabad rabbis different than many other rabbis is the rabbis almost become like the Jewish ambassador for that country and to the Jewish world. So if you look at the Shlochem from, from anywhere, from, from any city, any country, including here, the UAE, of course, when we're around our Jewish friends and in the Jewish media, we will push Dubai, show how exciting it is, and, and that's really what turns out to be, because when we move somewhere, 
we're committed there for life. So that's definitely um, an aspect. And over here, yeah, of course, there's people reaching out. They're asking if they should move here. So we're not telling people, yeah, of course, you have to move here. You have to move here. Don't worry. But when people are moving here, we are helping them with jobs, helping them with settling down, putting them in touch with the right people, etc. And now we are, we do actively help people to to relocate to the UAE. So yeah, this is something that we're actively actively doing, but not in the sense of opening a whole recruiting to recruit people to come to come move. Unless like, if, like if 10 families reach out and they say, listen, we want to buy some real estate, we want to buy homes, we want to be around your community. Would you tell them like this is better than moving to, to Hollywood, Florida? So, so t- today, Hollywood, Florida is a little bit ahead of us in terms of the Jewish infrastructure and education kosher food, synagogues, et cetera. So it depends what kind of families, what kind of families are, but we are competing in many other cities. Look at Hong Kong, look at Singapore. Um, This is where you have Jews, some of them for almost a century or more than a century. And yet now families from those places are moving to, to, to the UAE. So we are definitely in terms of the Jewish infrastructure, in terms of the Jewish life here, competing with a lot of these cities, and we have a lot of these families moving to the UAE. But that that actually, what you said about being the rabbi and the face of Dubai in that sense, it reminded me of, of Russia. So, so yes, you have that stature, but you also have that responsibility. So when you encourage people to live in Dubai, in a sense, and you are the spokesman for observant Jewry in Dubai— do you ever wonder, like, you don't know the future, you know, what the future brings or what the future holds? Could you say on the record that Dubai is safe for Jewish people? What's going to happen when there's one Lagba Emer parade too many? Or when the Jews start doing Kaparis all over the place? Is there any point that you're going to be like, all right, guys, hold up. Maybe you should move back to Crown Heights. <laughs> so, so, so first of all, I'm not the spokesperson for, 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 for anyone. But definitely the UAE, when it comes to the safety of the UAE and when it comes to the leadership of the UAE, I would very happy, <laughs> nothing to on the record, off the record, me, myself, and and, and now my wife and, and the more shluchim that live here. We're definitely committed to, to living here for life. The leadership of this country is incredible. Look, if you look at, at the U.S. and America, the Rebbe, was, we call them Medina Sachaset. Um, the fact that that Americans look for other countries, care for care for the other countries, you see that here a lot. You see the way the leadership of the UAE goes above and beyond in helping other countries. And when you look at the Jews, they just helped a few Jewish families from Yemen come to come to the UAE. The they're building in Abu Dhabi the first Jewish, the first synagogue. The support that we have from the government is is incredible and. The, the respect that they have for the Jewish people. And there are things that we have today in the UAE that most Jewish communities around the world do not have vis-a-vis the, the support of the government. A simple example, when someone gets married, there's no such thing here of, go, of getting a civil marriage. Once you have a ketubah, if we sign on your ketubah, on your, on, your, on your marriage document, and just a religious one, it's recognized here by the royal court, etc. That's amazing the, for so many reasons. Yeah, so there's people that are that are coming here. They need visas for their families, so the Jewish community could do that. We have, uh, of course, a Jewish cemetery where we could run the way the way we would like to under the under the strict halachic laws. Now there are some places, even some states in the U.S., where they have challenges of burying proper burial without going into details for Hever Tadisha. 
Um, and we have that here in the UAE. We have, when it comes to shita, there's many countries you can read on Europe. Look and look online. Countries trying to ban shita, and here we have our we have we have our shita. We have halal Yisrael milk. A- Arabs understand the Jewish lifestyle, and when they're not opposing it or fighting against you, they're a, ter- a tremendous ally. Of course, there's there's living in a Muslim country in terms of living as a Jew. They're they're close. There's so many similarities. They're comfortable. There, there were Jews living in Muslim countries for thousands of years. Look at the Jewish community in Morocco, Tunisia. Um, there's there's many countries. Like here's an example. Jews are not new to this region. Um, of course, we went through a tough patch with um, the establishment of the state of Israel. and But again, we don't get involved with politics at all, we are not politicians. We're here to support and build Jewish life. And in terms of support from the local government, from the leadership here, is is incredible. And especially for from Yudin. So if you look last year, when the previous prime minister, Yari Lapid, came to the UAE, his delegation, when Sheikh Pam bin Zayed, they arranged for there to be kosher food for them. Now, in his office, they're like, oh, we didn't order kosher food, but his highness said, no, when, we, when, we, when we're hosting the Jewish people, we want to make sure everything is a stop, top standard, kosher food. In case there's some people part of the delegation that need kosher, we want to be there to support them. All, all these things, and the list goes on and on of the amazing support from the, from the government and from the people, from the community living here. So, yes, we are very lucky. We do have a very special community here. But you didn't answer the original question. Do you or do you not have a fish pond with a shark in your house? <laughs> <laughs> that you're going to have to come for Shabbat and you'll see. You come for you come time or any time in the week, you'll come see exactly what we do or don't have. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So let me ask you, there was a story last year about Israelis trashing hotel rooms, being disrespectful. And we all know that respect is very, very important in the Arab culture. So what do you tell people when they come visit as far as respecting their hosts and not, God forbid, making a chil Hashem? Look, the, the, the UAE has a pretty pretty clear when someone comes there to see the standards of what is what is held in the UAE and what they the minimum they expect from their tourists, etc. Now, all this articles and fake news stuff about Israelis trashing this or trashing that, a lot of times it could be people that that don't really get the full story, or there's assuming, and um, assuming different um, different thing. Well, if you look at the general um, visits of the Israelis to the UAE, where there's probably over a half a million that visited until now, there's tremendous kiddush Hashem happening. You have Israelis that are meeting meeting different Arabs from different countries, from different nationalities, spending time with each other learning from each other, whether it's in Dubai Mall, whether it's going to to visit the mosque in, in Abu Dhabi in the desert. So the friendships which I've witnessed, um, which which has been a result of the Abraham Accord, is tremendous. Now, of course, you'll ha- always have a few people making trouble and challenges, but I don't think that really represents their nationality or their religion. I just think them as individuals, they're irresponsible individuals. But if you look in the general public of the Israelis, I think it's one of the most beautiful things that happened to Israel, that they have over half a million ambassadors, people from Israel, Israelis, coming to to a country. You know, in the UAE, you have people, let's say from Syria, Lebanon, uh, Pakistan, Indonesia, Malaysia, they don't have a Jewish community in their home countries. They don't have an Israeli embassy in their home countries. So when they're interacting with Israelis on a 
on a person to person level, the, the tremendous impact it has is, is incredible. So you're saying that United Arab Emirates is actually a pathway or a, um, a, a crossover, a bridge to peace with other countries in the Middle East. So that's that, the, you know, these alliances are being made in Dubai, but on behalf of the, the entire Middle East. There's no question about it. When we're, when we're, that's what's so special about our Jewish community in the UAE. When we're building our community here, we're having all these things in mind. So we're, quick, we're building on a very, very quick speed where technically one single community cannot support the the speed on of, of our growth, whether it's how quick we're building the Jewish schools, the mikvahs, the restaurants. But for us, when we build Jewish infrastructure here, the outcomes are tremendous. Like uh, just a small example, one of the, the Pakistani ambassador, the ambassador of Pakistan to the UAE. Now, Pakistan is, UAE is a very important country for Pakistan. He's a dear friend of ours. So now when he goes back to Pakistan, speaks to their foreign minister, speaks to their people, the, the impact that they that he could say firsthand that he experienced with the Jewish community is tremendous. And you have children that come to our Hebrew school and in their classes, they have children of leading business people and and politicians that spent that want to give their children the Dubai education. But when these kids are going to go back home to their home countries, the impact that it can it can have is tremendous. Just like major brands or car brands want to launch in the UAE because they know that's a good entries entrance to the Middle East and to the region. So of course, the same thing is our community. That's why we take this very very seriously. We we're working extra hard, bringing the right people and making sure we have the right infrastructure that it could impact not only the UAE, but the entire region. It's really fascinating. Let me ask you about fundraising, because most countries or most rabbis have a challenge fundraising because, you know, how well you do depends on the means of your community. So do you fundraise from people that live locally? Do you have to fundraise internationally? Is it a struggle to live there? Or is that not one of like not really one of your issues considering you are in one of the richest countries in the world? I think our our our, our biggest challenge is the 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 rate and the speed we're growing at. So yes, I've I came here myself eight years ago, but I would say since the Abraham Accord where until the Abraham Accord, we had a very steady growth of slow people moving, people enjoying. And then since the Abraham Accord, there were so many Jews in the diaspora. So not in just in Israel, that they always thought, oh, it's dangerous to visit the UAE. It's dangerous to live in the UAE. And once this Abraham Accord happened, they all started moving here. So our community tenfolded in no time. So this speed to make sure to build the right team, to bring the right, to bring more shluchim, to bring more rabbis, bachrim, girls, um, building the mikvah, schools, um, and infrastructure. This is something which we had to do in such a short amount of time. So that was a challenge. And in terms of the, the the community, we have many different segments in the community. We have the tourism, where we have thousands of tourists coming through us. We have Shabbat meals for them. We have the local Jewish community. We have business visitors, people that have businesses in the UAE, but they live they live elsewhere. So of course you have some which some that are wealthier than others, but of course we have many working people here that are living from month to month, people that are working in these big companies or or teachers or any or any other profession where there's young people starting up and then no, sometimes our community actually has to help other people in the community. Let's say someone loses their job, they need to pay rent, they need some food, they need this. So we're there to to help them as well. So we definitely do have the the challenges 
as well of the of a regular Jewish community around the world, but of course on a smaller scale. Interesting. So you have this nucleus of people that are around you and that are interconnected and that you are responsible for and help and are there for. I love that. Um, two more questions. Are you allowed to criticize the government? I know that Shluchim are not political. I know that the Shliach in Russia has been really, really careful in the last year and a half, uh, practically not saying a word to criticize um, Putin. That there, there are shady things or shady people in your neck of the woods. W- would you ever speak on them? Would you be concerned that people would say, "Oh, did you hear the rabbi? He was speaking critically." What, what, what? What's your take on all that? Okay. I really think like that. You should really come to the UAE, and I would love to show you around, take you to some of the royal families, take you to some of the shechas, and and meet with them, see with them. Shechas are the the wives of the of the sheikhs of the of the the royal family how nice and open and welcoming um these these people are and humble this is something which which the entire world could really learn from if you if you look at the uae if you look at the ruling family if you look how much they they really care for every single individual and this is really what makes them special special leaders and how they created a place where the world feels comfortable meeting it so you always have the the few places in the world where you would say the it's a comfortable place for the world to meet. When I say that, it means for business people to meet, for politicians, for for tourists, to just a, a meeting place in the world. Hong Kong was a place like that up till before COVID. Singapore, um, and you definitely see Dubai to eat, and the, the entire UAE taking that place. And the reason is because of the openness, because of the the way the government cares for the individual and they want to create this this very very special place so i know so, oh, one second but i didn't i didn't want to spell it out but what about the sheikh who whose daughter's missing i mean that was an international story that apparently she's trapped in somewhere like is that something you're not allowed to talk about there's always fake news things coming and going and i don't know every single story what happens with with, with with all the people, what's important to 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 look if you come and experience and see the truth of the city from when you enter to the UAE to opening up a business here, go send your kids to school and the entire infrastructure. You don't have any any of that. And look, you know, you'll always have people that will criticize success or get in the way of the success in the UAE. But look, I'll tell you, I from growing up in Brooklyn, uh, then then I studied in. In Chicago and Manchester, and I lived in Morocco by my sister Hannah for almost three years and spent a lot of time there. You see, and here living eight years and building what we managed to to put together, you really know the ins and outs of of the UAE, of the leadership of the country. And I tell you, it's an amazing, amazing place. The 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 way they help everyone. Well, what's the secret? What's the secret? Because Arabs treat Jews despicably everywhere else in the Middle East. So what are they? What do they know that? So you, so you just so you just generalized Arabs. First of all, there's Jewish Arabs. There's there's all kinds of Arabs. So I think I think the the Jewish community at whole um, at a large is just doesn't know when they're referring to 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 the a population. How do they refer to? To a population. Listen, I'm talking about is, Syria, Leban- Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, Jordan. Uh, I mean, the Palestinians. Those are the Arabs that that you know. You, you're so only two hours just away. Generalized so. five five countries. Each one's very different. The people and their know, governments. They all, they're all enemies so me, of Israel. 
No, that's not true. Complete fake news. For the for the most part, what do you mean? I live in Israel. What are you talking about? You live in Israel. Israel. Has... Very good. You live in your and uh, you live in your and you live in Israel. And you see what the what the, what what the world is feeding. You see, you don't see. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! So you're telling me that as a Jew in Israel, I am being no. fed misinformation, and really, you know something know something so about you, the Arabs that I don't know. What I'm saying is that you just generalize that all Arabs in the region hate the Jews. And I'm saying that is absolute fake news because I have I know many, many Arabs, both Muslim Arabs, Christian Arabs, and Jewish Arabs that love that 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 love the Jewish people and, and go out of their way for the Jewish people. If you're looking at the Israeli Palestinian conflict, of course, I know I've been to Israel and I know the challenges that, that have been in Israel. But in terms of, of the entire region, to generalize that region would be a mistake because you see you see here, you see Jewish life thriving here you see jewish life in 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 bahrain um you could see jewish life in egypt you could there's, there's no solid safe jewish life in egypt have Even you been I wouldn't egypt? Go to egypt. no because my husband doesn't let me because he's like you have to be insane to go a single woman to egypt a jewish woman from israel okay so 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 again this is you're looking at it from your from your from your eyes from your from what you've seen but i've, I've been i've seen See people going. See people. See people enjoying. You have Morocco. Could it be that you have a, incredible... a false? One second. Could it be that you have a false sense of security because you're surrounded by Arabs that you trust? No, because uh, not only me. We have there's Morocco. My sister and brother-in-law live in Morocco with their children. The the Rebbe sent to shluchim to Muslim countries. Yeah, um, I know. There's so, my, my friend Chai so. Shochatz in Turkey. I'm aware of. Of their lifestyles yeah, and Rabbi the fact Chitrick that they feel Turkey, safe. You have, you have, you have, you have many, many, many. Turkey is not really part of the region, but you have many places that you have this strong relationship between the Jewish people and the and the Arab people. But of course, growing up, you don't really see that. No one actually, no one actually took that time to educate us about this. And the same thing, vice versa. So you have, you have. Well, Arab you went. You went to the same schools that I did. Of course, no question about it. Were you ever in Beis Rifka? No, I'm joking. So, I was. The, I was in Beis Rifka, Montreal. Okay, amazing. So we have the the in 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 the UAE. You have many Arabs that they think that all the Jews are against them. Now, do you have anything against the random Muslim Arab in Dubai? No, you never met them. You don't know them. It's about you know what I mean. So there's a lot of general unknown, and and it's not just me that's saying this. I know when I when I have a lot of family and friends that came to the UAE, they visited the UAE, they visited the region, they see the region, and they see the the how the UAE is leading in this place. I rather, there's look at your, what's happening in Europe today. Today I feel much more comfortable being a Jew in the UAE than anywhere else, than more than many, many places in Europe. Do you feel like they're your brothers? Of course, I told you, there's a, it's a, it's a very special, unique place. And it's not only here, you could go to Bahrain, you could go to Morocco, and you could go to to the other places. And I really think through through these dialogues, through people, through building up Jewish life in these countries and creating dialogue and learning about each other, this is really what will what will bring to more more safety in Israel. Because at the end of the day, the the Jewish people need strong advocates from the region. So when the Emirati government learns about the Jewish community, they see our sincerity, they see our our midotovot, they see the way we are, they see what we're doing. Um, this obviously brings them when they're sitting in their meetings with the with the other Arab other Arab nations, 
etc. Obviously, they're going to be stronger advocates for the Jewish people. And Abu Dhabi, like I mentioned, they're building this Abrahamic family house, or they're building a full big synagogue for the Jewish community. I have to say, you really turned my perspective on, on that region on its head. Not that I know some of this stuff, but I didn't expect you to be so comfortable, settled, and clear on your relationship with the, the people you now live with and call your your brothers. Of so course, that and I think it's really... important for you to, to come see, come see and, and, and experience. And, and it's the, that's the strongest, strongest tool to come see it. And, and learn about it. Look, don't get will you, me wrong. Will you introduce me? One second. Will you introduce me to some of your fancy friends? Fancy friends? Some of my good friends. <laughs> but look, I have a lot of my, my look, some of my sisters and others, they thought the same way you think. And it's the same conversation. No, but it's scary, but this, but be careful. But until they come here and when they come here and they see the, they see the reality, they, 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 they understand what's, what's the facts on the ground. And again, the support from the government in Europe when it comes, you know, both airlines here in the UAE, they have kosher kitchens in their facilities. They have the, running their own kosher kitchen. They're, they're running the, the, the amount of support to the Jewish community here in terms of, of everything is, is really, really incredible. So, and it's not only the UAE, it's many other countries in the Gulf, Morocco, there's a strong Jewish community in Tunisia. Of course, there's its challenges. But there's challenges everywhere. And there's, even within countries, you have polarization and challenges within, within countries, etc. Interesting. So you're saying ultimately that we should teach our children that peace is possible? Of course, no question about it. We're, 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 we, it's important to teach children about respect, understanding the other people, and understanding where, where, where they're coming from. Because it's going to be your child walking down the street one day, whether it's in Europe, America, wherever it is, and then they're going to have another Muslim child. How do you want that Muslim child to look at your child? Do you don't want them to look at the things that they see on the media about the Israelis and about this, thinking that Israelis are only here to kill kids, to do this, to do the, all the media things? Or do you want them to... To, to treat your child and give them with the proper opportunity and um, et cetera. And that's why I was, what I said before, when you mentioned about the messing up hotel rooms and this. So this is like such a, a small nuance to look at, but look on the other hand, look at the strong relationships the, the families made between each other. Look how much they taught them what, what, a, what our Jewish holidays are about, what is kosher food about, what is the Jewish culture, tradition, religion. You go into to bars in Dubai, you hear them singing Arabic Jewish songs or some so other people looking up online of how to find Jewish deli sandwiches or even these small nuances, things that they, they've always thought they, they can never get involved. And since Rimon opened the kosher supermarket, there we have a really good sense of of seeing people more interested in, in kosher foods, uh, et cetera, when it comes to our education. And this is not only me. We have here four other shluchim that work with us here in Dubai. We have the, the Bahrim. We have girls here. We we have a, quite a full infrastructure in many, many different areas. So we really see what's happening on the on the day-to-day. Are we going to have a mitzvah tank soon? Of course. What's the question? <laughs> <laughs> I love your attitude. Um, I'm definitely going to come to visit. I would still not mind a fancy car waiting for me at the airport if I could just put it out there. But Is otherwise, that the only thing you're concerned about? <laughs> I mean, I- I'm living in Israel. I live a simple life. I wouldn't mind to indulge a little bit, go skiing in the I summer. I see Baruch Hashem in, in Israel. They, they also have some of that now. Yes, we live very comfortably here. And I, I would 
be more than happy to see peace with our our brothers, cousins, all around the world. Peace all around the world. So thank you for being amen, ambassador amen, amen. of one. And I wish you well. I hope that we could share each other in each other's simchas here and abroad. Amen. And uh, good luck with it all. I'll probably thank see you, you sooner than later. But thank yes, you very we're much. Waiting, thank you for we're waiting here. for you. Definitely have the, the red carpet. We call it, you have the wasta now. Do you know what wasta, wasta means? No. No, wasta. Wasta. W-A-S-T-A. So wasta means the... The connections. Now, now we know each other, so you protexia, get all your protexia. Your protexia. So protexia <laughs> in 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 the Embara is called wasta. Wasta, so, I love it. Yeah. Rabbi Dukhman, thank you very much. And wasta. Yalla, we'll see you. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. So there you have it, episode 74 of the Weekly Squeeze. Head down to my show notes. Go ahead, buy a tree in Israel and let me know that you have. Join our WhatsApp group. It is popping and bopping and messages self-destruct after 24 hours. So if you're listening to a show and you have something to say, the WhatsApp group is a great place to do so. Don't forget to leave me a five-star rating wherever you are listening. And I will see you on Monday.